Thank you, Laura. That was a long one. Um, extra credit for that. Uh, okay. Um, so I don't know about you guys, but uh, one of my favorite parts of this holiday season every year is getting to watch my favorite uh, Christmas movies. Um, and my guess would be that you have some favorite Christmas movies too. And if we had time, we could pass the microphone and go around and everybody could share. We don't have time, but I do want to hear from you. So let's try this. And this might not work, but just humor me. Um, think of your favorite Christmas movie. And on the count of three, we're all just going to say it out loud at the same time. Okay? You with me? Got it? Think of your favorite Christmas movie. I know it's hard to choose. There's so many good ones, but just pick one. And on the count of three, we're all just going to say it out loud at the same time. Okay? One, two, three. Okay, wow. I thought that I was going to be able to hear more than I heard. Uh, that, was, that was a lot. That was good. Uh, somebody help me out. Which ones did I hear? Which ones did y'all hear? Christmas Carol, very good. Any others? We'll come back to that one. White Christmas. White Christmas, classic. Somebody say Elf. Did I hear Elf? Yes, yes, that's a beloved one. Home Alone, yes, yes. Nobody said Die Hard? I mean, okay, okay, yes, we got one. We got one. Okay, well, speaking of that, um, not to stir up a, too much controversy, but in my experience, a lot of people don't just have a favorite Christmas movie. They also have a least favorite, like one they just really can't get into. No offense to anyone, but for me, it's Polar Express. Like, I just, whenever Tom Hanks starts doing the little rap thing about hot chocolate, I just, I'm, I'm out. I can't, I can't do it. So think of your least, we're going to do the opposite now. Think of your least favorite Christmas movie. And on the count of three, we're all just going to say that out loud. Okay? One, two, three. Okay. I feel like it was the same ones. It was just different people saying different movies. Well, um, after the service, we're going to have coffee and cookies out in the lobby. And here's your icebreaker. You can go around, meet some new people, and bond over your favorite Christmas movies or, or have friendly debate. It's up to you. Uh, why am I bringing all of this up today? Well, when I was growing up, one of the movies that our family would watch every year without fail was A Christmas Carol. I know somebody else said Christmas Carol. Now, this is not Christmas Story. A Christmas Story is the one with the Red Rider BB gun and you'll shoot your eye out. Also a wonderful movie. Uh, but I'm talking about Christmas Carol, which is the one with Ebenezer Scrooge. And if you need some refreshing on the story, basically, uh, we first meet Scrooge and he's this angry, grumpy old man. He hates Christmas. And then throughout the course of the story, he has this miraculous conversion experience. And by the end, he becomes this like kind, nice, generous man. And he loves Christmas. Remember that? Uh, originally, it was not a movie, of course. It was written by Charles Dickens back in the 1800s over in England. And it just very quickly became one of the favorite Christmas stories in the English-speaking world. There's been multiple movies. There's been cartoon versions of it. There's a play about it. And a lot of people would consider it to be kind of like secular holiday entertainment because there's not a ton of like overt biblical references in the story. But one thing I've come to appreciate more and more is that there are actually a lot of biblical themes implicitly in that classic story of A Christmas Carol. And so all of this is to say for our sermon series during this Advent season, we're going to make reference to A Christmas Carol throughout, and we're going to use it as kind of a window into some of the more important themes of this Advent season. Uh, this is a time of year when we as Christians prepare our hearts to, to celebrate Jesus' arrival once again. So we're going to use this story to, to help us to do that. 
Now, um, for today, as we get started here, what I want us to think about together is, is this. Um, ideally, as Christians, when we think about Christmas itself, ideally, what we should feel is a deep, deep sense of joy. We should feel joy. Some of you remember this, that on the night Jesus was born, the angels went and they appeared to the shepherds. They were outside of Bethlehem, right? They were watching over their flocks by night. And one of the things that the angels said to the shepherds is they said, we bring you glad tidings, which is a King James way of saying, we bring you good news. They said, good news of great joy. And so from the very beginning, Christmas was meant to bring us great joy. But here's what I know. Here's what I know, that for many of us, Christmas doesn't only bring great joy. For many of us, it, it brings great stress, great anxiety, right? Great busyness with all the different things that we've got to do to get ready to celebrate Christmas. Uh, for some of us, this Christmas season, it, it brings great grief and great loss because we, we think about loved ones who are no longer here to celebrate Christmas with us. And so even though ideally we would feel joy at Christmas and a deep sense of it, it can be hard. It's not always easy, right? Uh, there's this scene at the very beginning of A Christmas Carol. If you're familiar with the story, you'll remember this. Um, we first meet Ebenezer Scrooge, the main character. And again, he's this mean, grouchy old man. He hates Christmas. And it's Christmas Eve night. And he's working late because that's what he does. It's just another day to him. And he's feeling as grouchy as ever. And in walks his nephew. And his nephew is this young man who loves Christmas. So he comes in. He's all joyful and bubbly. He's actually come to invite his Uncle Scrooge to Christmas dinner the next day. And he walks in and he says, Merry Christmas, Uncle. And do you remember what Scrooge says in response? Famous line, yes, yes. He goes, bah, humbug. Uh, which is a great line because there's no, like, happy way to say that. I mean, it just it sounds grumpy coming out of the mouth. Humbug. I don't know if you know what humbug means. I didn't. I heard this my whole life, and obviously it's a grumpy expression, but I looked it up this week, and it turns out humbug, it's basically like an 1800s British way of saying BS. That's, that's kind of like in our culture what we would say. And what, what Scrooge is expressing here in this scene is he's saying this whole idea that Christmas is joyful this whole idea that Christmas is merry, it's, it's a load of BS. It's just, it's, it's not true. Now, most of us aren't as grumpy and grouchy as Scrooge. I get that. But I think if we're honest, for many of us, there's some small part of us at least that kind of resonates with what he's saying there. Like, think about this. It's November 1st, and you walk into Target to get your groceries or whatever you're getting at Target. And already on November 1st, they've cleared out all the Halloween stuff and they've put up all the Christmas decorations, even though Christmas is still two months away. How do you feel inside when you see that? Do you inwardly cheer or do you inwardly kind of groan a little bit? I think many of us would say at least a little bit. We, we kind of groan because Christmas doesn't just bring great joy. It, it brings a great amount of a lot of other things that can be very overwhelming for us. And so the question I want us to be thinking about together this morning is, how can we sustain a deep sense of joy throughout this season, despite all the other things that Christmas brings our way? How can we sustain a sense of joy so that our hearts will be prepared to celebrate the ultimate joy, which is the celebration of Jesus' arrival into our world? 
Um, to help us think about that, we're going to look at this passage that Laura read for us from Matthew 20. If you grew up in church, if you've been around church for very long, you may have recognized this is not a passage that's typically associated with Advent or the Christmas season, but there's a really powerful lesson for us here, and I think it's a lesson that's especially helpful in this season. So I'm excited to look at this story with you, but before we dive into the scripture, would you join me in a word of prayer? Gracious God, we thank you for this time to be together, uh, this time when we can press pause on the, the chaos and the busyness of our lives and give you our full attention, Lord. Uh, we pray that you would come with your Holy Spirit as we study your word and open us up, God. Uh, open us to the ways that you're speaking words of love and comfort to us. But God, also open us to the ways that you're pushing us and challenging us to grow and to change and to be transformed. We pray all of this in the name of your Son, who is the living word. Amen. Well, here's what's going on in Matthew 20. Jesus is talking to his disciples, and he starts telling them a story. Jesus loved to tell stories, and this one goes like this. Once upon a time, there was this wealthy landowner, and he had this huge vineyard, and it was harvest time, and this guy could not work this whole vineyard all by himself. He needed workers. So one morning he gets up early and he goes to the marketplace in town and he finds some day laborers. And he goes to these day laborers and he says, hey, if you guys will come and work for me today in my vineyard, I will pay you one denarian. What in the world is a denarian? Well, it was a unit of currency at that time. And it's important for us to know that in that culture, a denarian was considered a very generous, more than fair wage for a day's work. And that means that when this landowner offered these workers a denarian, uh, they were feeling joyful. They were feeling thankful. They were happy. This was a good day because a lot of times they would have had to settle for working for less money or many days they would not have been able to find any work at all. So it's about 6 a.m., because this all happened very early in the morning. At 6 a.m., they go out to work in the vineyard, feeling joyful about this opportunity. Well, some time goes by. It's mid-morning, about 9 a.m. The landowner decides, I need some more workers for my vineyard. And he goes back to the marketplace, finds some more day laborers. Then he sends them off into the vineyard. Same thing happens at noon. Same thing happens at 3. 5 p.m. comes around. It's almost the end of the day. Still, this landowner, he wants more workers, so he goes back to the marketplace. He sends more workers into the, into the vineyard. Well, then 6 p.m. comes, right, and it's the end of the day. So the landowner rounds up everybody, all the workers, and he lines them all up to give them their pay. And he starts with the ones who started working last, so the, the 5 p.m. crew, essentially. So he goes to them, and do you remember how much he paid the 5 p.m. crew, did you catch this in the story? He paid them one denarian, yeah. Well, the 6 a.m. crew, they see this, and they get really excited because they're like, wow, these guys only worked one hour at the end of the day, and they got a whole denarian. What are we going to get? I mean, we work 12 hours, probably get 12 denarian, right? That's, that's pretty solid. So they're excited, and they're waiting with anticipation. The landowner, he's working his way down the line, giving everybody their pay. Finally, he gets to that early morning 6 a.m. crew, and how much does the landowner pay them? Do you remember? One denarian, yes. Now, how do you think those workers were feeling when they got their one denarian? We don't have to guess. Uh, Jesus tells us. I'm going to try to show you on the slide here. Let's see if we can get the, the technology working. Um, 
There we go. Okay. So Jesus explains this. When they received it, so the, the 6 a.m. crew, when they received their denarian, they what? They grumbled. They grumbled against the landowner. What did they say? They said, these who were hired last, these Johnny-come-latelys, these who were hired last, they only worked one hour, and they received the same pay as we did, even though we had to work the whole day in the hot sun. So that raises a question for us. And the question is, um, the question is, what changed? Because they started off the day, and they were feeling joyful. And now here it is at the end of the day, and they're not joyful at all anymore. They're, they're grumbling. And, and what changed is their perspective, right? Their focus. In the morning, they were focused on what they had. They had this amazing opportunity to earn a very generous day's wage. But by the end of the day, they were focused on what they didn't have. They didn't have the same rate of pay as all the other workers. You see? So don't miss this. They, they lost their joy when their focus shifted from what they had to what they didn't have. You with me? How, how does this apply to you and me and this season of Advent? Well, it seems to me that one of the reasons it can be hard for us to sustain a deep sense of joy throughout this season is that Christmas time, maybe more than any other time of the year, Christmas time is one when it's really easy for us to get focused on what we don't have. I'll give you a few examples. It's really easy for us at this time of year to get focused on all the money that we don't have because the way that we celebrate Christmas in this culture is kind of outrageously expensive when you think about it. And we all had the best intentions. We want to give our kids the best Christmas experience. We want to give our loved ones the best gifts, don't we? Sometimes we want to give ourselves the best gifts. And that means regardless of our income level, we, we bump up against the limits of what we can afford. It gets us thinking about the money that we don't have. Or sometimes we think about the family dynamics that we don't have, right? We all want that Norman Rockwell picture-perfect scene where the, the big family sits down to Christmas dinner and everybody's happy and there's all this peace and, and harmony. And yet for most of us, that's not the reality, is it? For most of us, there's at least a little bit of tension, a little bit of conflict, family drama, right? It's really easy for us at this time of year to get focused on the time that we don't have because it's so busy. I mean, you got to go shopping to get the presents. You got to wrap the presents. If you got people coming over, you got to clean. You got to cook. There's work parties, friend parties, right? Some of you are traveling. You got to go visit people this side of the family, that side of the family. And even if all of that stuff is fun and enjoyable on its own, we cram it all into one month and it becomes overwhelming and we can get consumed with the time, the money, the family dynamics that we don't have. Now, I'm not trying to minimize any of that. Those are real stressors, stressful for me, stressful for you, I'm sure. But part of what Jesus is trying to teach us in this parable is that if we get all focused on what we don't have, it's going to be hard for us to sustain a sense of joy in our lives, right? Because the key to joy, don't miss this, the key to joy is shifting our focus back to what we do have. When we start thinking about what we do have, we realize we, we all actually have a lot, and we can't help but feel a sense of joy 
about that. Um, there, there's a great illustration of this in the story of A Christmas Carol. Some of you will remember this. Uh, Ebenezer Scrooge, the main character, he has this employee whose name is Bob Cratchit. And there's this very moving scene in the story where we get to kind of peek in on the Cratchit family Christmas, on Christmas Day. And as the scene begins, right away, we see that there's a lot in life that Bob Cratchit does not have. He lives in a bad neighborhood. His house is run down. We're told that his kids have holes in their shoes and he can't afford to get them fixed, not even as like a special Christmas present. Uh, the family sits down to, to Christmas dinner at one point, and we see on the table that there is this goose that they're going to eat, but it's not like a fat, plump, juicy goose. It's like a tiny, scrawny, bony goose. That, that's all that he could afford. And after dinner, there's a moment where um, his wife, the, the mother of this, this large family, she brings out the, the Christmas dessert. She made this special Christmas pudding, and we're told that there's barely enough for everybody in the family to even have one bite of this Christmas pudding. And on top of all of that, we find out that Bob Cratchit's youngest son, Tim, Tiny Tim, he is ill. And at this point in the story, it looks like his illness is going to be terminal. There's a lot in life that Bob Cratchit does not have. And it would be so easy for him to get focused on that. But what happens? It's, it's actually kind of the opposite. He chooses to use Christmas as a time to focus on what he does have. So as a result, he, he's celebrating Christmas with his family. The guy's just like radiating joy everywhere. He's laughing. He's joking. He's smiling. He's going to every one of his family members, telling them how much he loves them, how proud he is of them. He chooses to use Christmas as a time to celebrate what he has. And he can't help but feel a sense of joy about that. Now, really what I want us to take away from all of this today is that we can do the same things in our lives, right? And we should. Um, so I put the question to you. What do you have? What do you have? I think a lot of times, part of the, the mistake that we make is that we overlook the basics. We overlook the, the things that we so often take for granted. What, what do I have? Most of us would say, well, I got a roof over my head. I got shoes under my feet. I got food in my belly. I've got air in my lungs. That's what I have. We, we could say, um, I have a God who created me with care and intention and purpose. But we could say, I've got a God, especially this time of year, I've got a God who came into this world to be with me, to save me from sin and evil and death so that I would never be without hope in this world, even in the deepest, deepest darkness. What do I have? I hope most of us would say, I have a church family a church family that shows me what God's love looks like, that reminds me of God's calling on my life, that inspires me to be the best version of myself that I can possibly be. See, I think if we all sat down and we made a list of all the things we have, it would take hours to make that entire list. And as we think about those things, we can't help but feel a sense of joy. And so here's my encouragement for you, and I'll, I'll wrap up with this. Um, Throughout this season, it's, it's going to be tempting for all of us at times to think about the money we don't have, the family dynamics we don't have, the time we don't have, and, and the rest. But when you catch yourself doing that, my encouragement for you is see if you can shift your perspective back to what you do have. And if we can do that, then we're all going to be more joyful. And again, we're going to be preparing our hearts for the ultimate joy of this season. We have a God who loves us so much. God came into this world to be with us, to save us, and to never, ever let us go. 
Let me pray for us. Oh, gracious God, uh, we thank you for the joyful, joyful good news of Christmas, Lord. And we confess to you, as you well know, that uh, it's easy for us to get distracted from that good news. And for so many legitimate reasons, God, it's, it's easy for our joy to be drained in this season. But we pray that you would guide us, help us to remember all that we've been given, all that we have, because we have so much, Lord, and we're grateful for that. God, in this season, we pray that you would help us to, to keep nurturing the, the sense of joy, a sense of wonder and hope, that you would come into this world as one of us to be with us, God, and to save us, to bring us into the life that you created us for. We thank you for all of this, Jesus, and we pray this in your name. Amen.